Time now for insight. Debate about the shape of New Zealand's tax system is likely to be a prominent feature in this year's election. But does the way individuals and companies are taxed need to be revamped to meet future needs? This Radio New Zealand Insight asks, what are the challenges to government revenue collection posed by an increasingly online way of living and conducting business? Before I can go any further, can I have your ID number, please? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. At this Inland Revenue Call Centre in Wellington, there are about 100 staff working. But in this particular room, about 20 people are taking calls and helping those who've got queries about their tax matters. Around the country, there are about six sites and there are about 450 people working in them. They take 3.6 million calls a year. Nearly 2 million of them are taken between the busy season, which runs from April to August. The only things certain in life are said to be death and taxes. Certainly, like death, there's no getting around taxes. But while the main objective of taxation is to raise revenue for the government, be it from company income, personal income or GST, there's also an obligation to be fair. In the last month, a report by the accounting firm Deloitte on tax complexity in the Asia-Pacific region found New Zealand's policies were seen as straightforward, consistent and predictable compared with other countries. The Inland Revenue Commissioner, Naomi Ferguson, says the country's tax framework has been stable for a number of years. It's a broad-based, low-rate framework. That means we look to, um, to keep taxes across a broad range of goods and services and uh, income types uh, and tax them at fairly low rates. It means it's simple. There aren't lots of complicating factors that come in uh, when people have to understand either what they're due to pay or what they're due to get. And so that simplicity is actually one of the things that's part of our strength. But others are worried about whether the system is as fair as it should be. An associate professor at the economics department at Auckland University, Susan St John, believes the current tax regime is weighing more heavily on those at the lower end of earnings. We've got a tax system which has put a lot of emphasis on efficiency of taxes, low tax rates at the top end, so that those people at the top end of the distribution have got incentives to save and work. And we paid very little attention to the kind of tax rates that people actually end up paying in our tax system at the lower end. Others, such as the head of indirect taxes at KPMG, Peter Scott, believe change will be forced through by the rise and rise of various forms of e-commerce. Around the world, government are facing challenges uh, around e-commerce. Uh, obviously, it's, it's becoming more and more popular as a way of doing business, uh, and it obviously makes sense for a lot of businesses to get access to markets that they've never got access to before. But from a tax perspective, it's, it's causing real challenges um, and the key challenges are actually around uh, GST. I'm Philippa Tony, and this insight explores if the current tax system is fit and fair for the future. When New Zealand was declared a separate Crown colony in 1841, an ordinance establishing the first tariff was just the third law to be passed. Customs duties were the major taxes until the 1870s, until death duties, local rates, land and then property tax were added in the following decades. 
In Wellington, goods landed on the wharf were taken into the bond store, which, when built in 1897, was right on the waterfront. The historic building is now the Museum of City and Sea, but more than a century ago it stored imports that were then assessed for duty, as the museum's deputy director, Paul Thompson, explains. When customs started in New Zealand, it was on straightforward on things like alcohol, um, grain, tobacco, those sorts of things with a 10% tariff of things from Britain. But by the start of the 20th century, more and more goods have been added to the tariff list, which was also, as well as the government's source of income was to protect burgeoning local industry. What about the sort of consumer bills that nowadays would attract GST? We got to the stage where basically everything had a tariff on it, so things like ladies' corsets or umbrellas or imported jam, you, you had to pay duty on it. That was a very different landscape from the tax regime now in place. The Inland Revenue Commissioner, Naomi Ferguson, says work is being done to keep pace with the changing way of life in New Zealand. We're very much looking to the challenges of the future and there's quite a range of them. Obviously New Zealand's becoming a very diverse country and culture. We're equally all starting to use mobile digital uh, technologies, so we like doing things on our smartphones. And, uh, and, and with that brings challenges uh, and opportunities for the inland revenue. Uh, and we're constantly looking at what might those be and, and what could we do uh, to help customers to meet their tax obligations and to get the welfare payments and things that they're due. Three years ago, when he was an assistant professor of political science at the University of Michigan, Rob Salmon wrote a book comparing the New Zealand tax system with those of more than 20 other nations, including Europe, North America, Japan, South Korea and Australia. Well, I saw the New Zealand uh, debate about tax starting in 2008 when National got elected, and I saw a lot of people describing the tax system in really comparative terms. They were saying it's anti-worker or it's good for growth. And my question was always, compared to what? He's returned to New Zealand and is now involved in advising the Labour Party, but his tax comparison is also linked to on a government website for those thinking of living or working in this country. His summary just compares tax systems. It doesn't factor in the effects of transfers, credits or rebates, such as working for families. But it does highlight the difference between New Zealand and systems overseas. So what I found was that New Zealand is... Really, it's an outlier compared to the OECD as a whole. So it's an outlier in two or three different ways. The first is that our rates of tax on high levels of income are lower than in most other countries. Um, the second is that our GST, our, our consumption tax, is much more comprehensive than in most other countries. And the third is that unlike most countries in the OECD, we don't tax capital gains. He points to a study on top tax rates. The best resource on this is a survey put together by KPMG, the big accounting firm, and they look at the overall tax that somebody earning either 100,000 US dollars or 300,000 US dollars would pay across the OECD when they do the currency conversion. New Zealand is much lower than most of the OECD countries. When you get really high incomes, we're much lower than Australia as well. Rob Salmon says the arguments for keeping or lowering current top tax rates are that New Zealand must remain globally competitive and that people will leave and take their business with them. But he argues there's very little evidence to back that up. But that wasn't the view of the tax working group, set up five years ago by Victoria University, the Treasury and Inland Revenue. Its aim at that time was to consider what changes were needed to make the system sustainable. One member of the group was John Shewan, now an adjunct professor of accounting at the university, a company director and formerly a chairman of the accounting firm PwC. 
Over a coffee at the foot of the PwC building in Wellington, he explained how the tax working group felt change was essential. We concluded that at that time, 2009, the tax system was under severe pressure because uh, the base was too narrow and by that I mean there were some things that uh, should have been taxed and weren't being taxed and we thought that the rates were too high and we had a lot of evidence that the rates were causing disincentives to work and to investment. For John Schuen, one of the important factors is establishing what he calls a politician-proof framework. You don't want short-term changes where politicians come along and make short-term fixes, mainly for political reasons, that will do things like exempt a certain category of income or provide an incentive to a particular industry. The vision for the future set out by the tax working group did include an asset tax, but John Schuen says it's a very challenging area to come up with workable solutions. We looked closely at a capital gains tax. Uh, the majority of our group concluded that a capital gains tax would only work if it was able to be put in place comprehensively. You cannot be a government and stay in power if you tax all capital gains, particularly the family home and, and other such sensitive assets. So for that reason, our group, perhaps controversially, recommended to the government that we have a very low rate land tax, which would apply rather like local body rates to, to all properties, personal uh, investment and uh, commercial. The government did not accept that recommendation. I personally believe they should have, still hold to that and we still haven't got any further down the track in resolving the vexed issue of taxation of capital, and I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about that in the lead-up to this year's general election. The idea of broadening the tax base through capital gains or other asset taxes, such as land, has supporters and detractors. A capital gains tax would hit many farmers, but not all of them think it will be a bad thing. Peter Leheron runs a dairy farm near Morrinsville in Waikato and he describes himself as definitely against such taxes. I remember way back when my father was on his deathbed and he said if Muldoon gets in because he was going to wipe capital gains tax I'll live and if the other people get in <laughs> I'm going to die. Muldoon got in and, the, and capital gains taxes um, were wiped. Tax on wealth is not necessarily a means of making things go forward. I actually think the country needs to look at how taxation is spent rather than just gathering money. Lloyd Downing is also a dairy farmer in the same area, but he supports capital gains. I personally believe there should be a capital gains tax. If you believe that profit should be taxed, we are the only country in the OECD that hasn't got that. It's a signal that it sends to the public. And the government needs to be doing several things. It needs to actually give incentives where, the money, where they want money to invest. And, you know, every day you see in the paper where we don't save enough. Well, we put it into property. The Council of Trade Unions has strong opinions on how the tax system affects individuals. But the CTU secretary, Peter Conway, does agree its fairly straightforward nature is generally regarded as a plus. Simplicity is important, and I think a lot of overseas observers, while they may criticise the lack of a capital gains tax, they would say, well, it's good that there's no um, tag taxes, um, there's no local taxes, uh, there's no payroll tax, etc. So there's some simplicity there. I think we're really hitting upper limits around GST. But he would like to see changes in the tax rates, as he says the system has got way out of kilter, especially since the changes brought in in 2010 that lowered company tax rates to 28% and top personal tax rates to 33%.
I mean, we see much more trickle up than trickle down, let's face it. I mean, the argument that is used around the top tax rate is it will act as a disincentive. Now, we would favour a top tax rate of, say, 45 cents in the dollar on anything above around $150,000, and that's approximately three times the average wage before you would be paying that top tax rate. Now, what the critics of that would say is they'd say, well, look, the top taxpayers are already paying most of the tax, but let's unpick that. I mean, the fact is that at the time of the 2019 tax changes, sure, the top half of income earners were paying 87% of income tax, but they were getting 84% of taxable income, and they got 91% of the benefit of the tax cuts. So what you've got is basically wage inequality, income inequality, and this is a much bigger issue than you can load at the feet of the tax system. The tax system can ameliorate that to some extent, but it should not make it worse, and that's what the tax switch did. It made that inequality even worse. At the lower end of the tax rate spectrum, Rob Salmon's comparison with other nations found that New Zealand's regime is much in line with what is done elsewhere, and he says the Working for Families tax credit is quite generous. But he believes there's little awareness of how much tax out of their total income is paid by those at the lower end of the earnings scale. I think it actually flies under the radar in New Zealand, and the reason for that is that most of what the low-income people pay is in the form of GST and not income tax. And GST uh, just feels like the price of buying goods. Um, we all know if people are asked that includes GST as in the price sticker there somewhere, but it's not something we feel as a tax burden. We think of that as the cost of buying a litre of milk rather than the cost of buying a litre of milk plus sending some money to the government. That's the way that we feel about it. And so it flies under everybody's radar, but it turns out that people on low incomes contribute an awful lot to the New Zealand tax base by way of their GST. An associate professor at Auckland University, Susan St John, says it's impossible to tackle problems with any system unless taxation and welfare are dealt with at the same time. The tax welfare interface is something that has been invisible. We need to pay more attention to that because we need to encourage working age people and we need to be very careful about what happens to them when they earn an extra dollar and it's not then just about tax. She says while the tax system is not weighed down by a multiplicity of special exemptions, it would be better to return to the comprehensive tax structure of the late 80s, where all income was aggregated together and tax paid at the appropriate rate. If we look at the taxation of superannuation and look what happens in Australia and the amount that's spent on tax incentives there, amount is about equal to what they pay out on the age pension. But it's a very hidden form of government spending and it largely benefits those at the top of the distribution. So New Zealand has been very fortunate to have knocked that on the head very early on. And so we are in a good position, I think, to re-find our principles and to build on those rather than getting lost in a morass of, oh, we've got to encourage savings, so we'll do this. We'll have a pie regime that taxes the top rate um, only at 28 instead of 33, all those sorts of things. We, we need to tidy that up and get back to the principles. 
While voters may be keen to see what will be revealed in the budget out shortly, taxation has never been far from the minds of governments, as evident in Sid Holland's budget speech 60 years ago. I now come to what is always regarded as the highlight of any budget. <laughs> namely, namely, the government's proposal regarding taxation. In each of the four previous budgets, it has been my pleasure to announce substantial concessions and this year again I have proposals which I am sure will be acceptable. The economic landscape facing Sid Holland and his national government in 1954 was rather different to the challenges on the horizon today. Back then everything was recorded on paper but the advent of e-commerce and the digital nature of life today is demanding huge adaptations. John Shewan believes the significance of the change can't be underplayed. I think that taxing the digital economy is the single biggest tax issue facing the globe in terms of um, trying to protect tax systems all around the world in a way that allows the digital economy to continue to flourish uh, whilst ensuring it also delivers tax. This is hugely complicated because all around the world the traditional tax systems rely on either consumption in a particular country, you buy a cup of coffee and you pay GST or VAT on it, or it relies on physical presence, so you've got a manufacturing plant making widgets, you know where the profits are. Of course the digital economy defies all of that. Companies like Google don't need a physical presence, point one. Point two, it's very hard to actually trace uh, where the profits are arrived from. John Shewan says New Zealand has to be cautious as any change in this area could have an impact on the country's exporters such as Fonterra. The Finance Minister, Bill English, has acknowledged the growing worldwide digital economy is putting pressure on New Zealand's tax base. Earlier this year, he told Parliament's Finance and Expenditure Committee that New Zealand was part of a multinational effort to clamp down on income shifting by the likes of web-based giants Google and Facebook, but he pointed the finger at online retail as a bigger threat than multinational avoidance. Not surprisingly, the chief executive of the Retailers Association, Mark Johnston, would like there to be a change in rules for GST and online purchases from offshore merchants. In the heart of Wellington's retail and entertainment area, he argued that it's a question of creating a level playing field for New Zealand retailers. There's a tax issue as well in terms of what the government isn't collecting from a GST perspective in terms of their current tax regime. And our estimates are that that could be up to $250 million a year within two years' time based on the growth of online shopping. And that expansion of online trading shows no sign of slowing down. BNZ's market view survey um, estimated in January that online sales from overseas e-tailers were now sitting at more than 40% of the total online sales volume uh, here in New Zealand. That's significant. The points have been put forward. It's going to cost us more to get it than we're going to get in tax. There's going to have to be an innovative solution. Online and mobile shopping is innovative. So surely between um, you know, probably a collaboration of the major players, the payment providers, and the postal services and courier services that deliver those goods to consumers, there's got to be a way that we can come up with something that doesn't have to be totally cost-driven. At the moment, assessment of whether GST needs to be paid is made as parcels are sorted out at the International Mail Centre in Auckland. What the postal um, 
officers are doing at the belt, once they get it moving, is actually checking for the declared value on the package. When they see one that's over at threshold, they'll mark it and they'll send it further down the conveyor belt where a customs officer will take it away. The manager of service delivery and border operations, Richard Barge, explains how after the first handling, parcels x-rayed and checked by a drug and money dog to make sure declarations are accurate. He says much of what arrives is the result of online purchasing. A large proportion of these packages will be um, things that people have purchased online from overseas that are cheap, um, that they can't access, well they can't access in New Zealand, the, the, the goods are not available and they usually, a, a number of people are uh, very, very aware of the threshold, the tax threshold and will be purchasing, trying to keep their purchases below the threshold. An Auckland-based accountant, Peter Scott, who is KPMG's head of indirect tax, says while offshore online sales of physical goods present one set of issues, digital downloads, streaming and the profits from associated advertising are even more testing to a tax regime. I think they're obviously worried about what impact it is going to be having in New Zealand. I just noticed actually it was reported that downloads of digital, digital music sales have exceeded the sales of, of CDs uh, in New Zealand for the very first time last year. So certainly that trend must just going to increase and increase and that's just going to mean obviously no GST being collected under our current system at least. He believes e-commerce presents a huge challenge to the tax system and points to figures from the OECD that indicate that global online sales consumers, excluding businesses, amounted to one trillion US dollars in 2012. The study suggested those sales were increasing at 12% a year. Peter Scott thinks action needs to be taken. Obviously the OECD is, is looking at this, that's going to take a while. They're not known for very fast turnaround on uh, these sorts of things. So we've seen governments like, for example, the UK. Uh, so the UK have, have recently announced that they're going to start introducing, effectively, a, you'll need to start paying VAT if you are supplying uh, digital download of music to uh, customers in the UK. And so basically putting the onus on the supplier of the music in that case. And South Africa have very recently, so from 1 April actually, um, have just started doing the same thing. So they're imposing on, an obligation on the overseas supplier to effectively account for South African um, VAT. How does that work, that a government obliges somebody operating overseas to collect tax on this? And yeah. presumably also you've got a huge diversity of, of companies and suppliers that could possibly be involved. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's, that's obviously <laughs> the big challenge. So, so it's all very well imposing these, these rules. Um, how do you actually enforce compliance? But the Inland Revenue Commissioner, Naomi Ferguson, says the costs are still an issue. For any, any tax, um, you've got to remember that you actually need a, uh, a system to collect it. You need people, you need IT, you need computers, you need uh, some sort of form or paperwork, even a digital one going between whoever's paying the tax and the tax authority. That all costs money. But the idea of rolling taxation issues surrounding multinationals and the taxation of offshore online sales into the same basket has little appeal for John Schuen. I don't think GST should be put in the same boat as the digital economy place arose an issue. I think the GST one is, is one that we can deal with as a, as a jurisdiction on our own on a unilateral basis. Other countries are looking at it. So I, I think the government is working on that and I think that needs to be dealt with and can be dealt with within the next 12 months. Uh, politically it'll be unpopular. I mean, 
would you as a government want to suddenly tell people that the, that the CDs and books and so forth that they're bringing in uh, and shoes are suddenly going to be subject to GST? It won't be that popular, but from policy terms you can't argue against it. Inland Revenue's Naomi Ferguson says it's tempting but not very practical to think New Zealand can sort things out on its own, especially when the online environment is changing so fast. Online trading is growing and we have to keep uh, an eye on that and monitor it and think with our partners across the world about how do we tackle that. Um, it's very easy to think about a solution that you could just apply in New Zealand, but we've got to remember that we've got exporters and they're selling goods often online, to the rest of the world. So we need to look at this as a worldwide issue and find solutions across the world to it. She's confident the OECD Working Group has adopted an aggressive timetable and will make decisions relatively quickly over international digital taxation issues. There's a number of actions that have uh, been set out, some of which are due this year, some of which are due next year, some of which are due the year after. Whatever solutions come out of that work, they will affect just about everybody. Robert Whitefield and Rhys Roberts are two university students who are hoping their future careers will be working in the tax arena. They support the idea of international efforts to tackle the challenges of digital commerce. But closer to home, there are other changes they think would make the tax system fairer and more consistent. Robert Whitefield, a third-year student, would like to see a refocus to encourage savings. One of the, the real issues that we need to sort of acknowledge is how we actually incentivise investment and savings uh, in New Zealand, and that, I think, is where inequality is actually going to be sort of addressed and resolved to some extent. Rhys Williams, who's now in his fourth year, feels the lack of a capital gains tax is an anomaly that needs to be resolved. I think with the capital gains tax, it goes against the consistency of our tax system. Our tax system is supposed to be broad based and that's basically the only hole in the system. And a lot of people don't understand that if they do introduce capital gains tax, theoretically they'll reduce taxes in other areas to compensate. He backs lower company taxes to attract and retain investment, but he's also worried the structure for those on lower earnings can end up being punitive. And saying that there are benefits like working for families, there are also problems with that because uh, it's been a contested issue over recent years um, that as your income increases, and you're working for families, tax credit or other tax credits abate, then you're effectively paying a marginal rate higher than 50%. So there needs to be some sort of um, discussion in that area as well, I think. As commerce moves increasingly online, Robert Whitefield would like any future system to make sure everyone, including businesses operating in this country, pay their fair share. It is important to reflect that where business is being done in a country, they need to reflect that in, in their contributions back into that country. Uh, and I don't think it's necessarily uh, sufficient just to say, well, our providing goods and services to this country is our contribution to it. That recognition of the necessity of everyone paying their fair share is important to the Commissioner of the Inland Revenue, Naomi Ferguson, as well. I think, for me, the thing to remember is what tax does. So... We all love living in New Zealand. It's a great country, a great place to live, work, bring up your kids. And many of the reasons why it is great are supported by our tax system. So our schools, our education, the national parks, all of those things are enabled to some degree by the fact that citizens pay tax. So every member of New Zealand society makes their contribution to making New Zealand a great place to live and work by the tax that they pay.
Death and taxes may be seen as the two certainties of life, but surely another claim on inevitability is the political debate about the ideal shape of the tax system, particularly with a looming election. So you're calling on behalf of a company? I'm Philippa Tolley and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Gail Woods with additional reporting by Andrew McCran-Hamilton and Nicole Pryor in Auckland. Technical production was by Jeremy Veal.